It's great to see you this morning. We are glad that you are here. And uh, it feels almost like it's getting ready to be fall outside. That's a good thing, right? Yes. Yeah, I hear a woo in the back. That's all good. Yes. Um, we're just waiting for uh, Starbucks to serve their, uh, the pumpkin spice latte, right? And then that's the official start of the season. That's exactly it. And so we are really thrilled that you're here. We have been over the last number of weeks, in fact, 12 weeks, we've been in this series as we have been teaching through the Apostles' Creed together. We are winding that up. Now, they, um, well, they, I should say, but in, in our talk and our creative times as a staff that we have decided, you know, would we, what we were deciding, would we end this week or would we end next week? Because we start actually a week after next teaching through the book of James together as our fall series. So we're excited that you would uh, possibly consider being with us to teach through the book of James up until Advent season. And so where do, we, where do we end the Apostles' Creed? Well, today we're at the, almost at the end where the bottom line says, or almost the bottom line, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. But I just couldn't leave that last word. You know, there's one last word there, and that is the word amen. And so guess what? Next week... We preach on amen. I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon on amen, okay? But we're going to just tie it all together through, as our teaching for these past few weeks through the Apostles' Creed on amen. For those of you that have listened throughout the summer, uh, we are simply glad that you have followed along through that process with us through the Apostles' Creed also. Now, we understand a couple of things real quick, and we'll get into our teaching this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians 15 and 42, and then we're going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. You know things get crazy when we go to Ecclesiastes, because, I mean, Ecclesiastes is absolutely buck wild. We know that in Scripture, so it's going to be crazy for a moment when we get there. But I want to say to you that we understand a couple things about creeds. One is this, creeds have no power within themselves or authority in themselves. They are a mirror of greater authority, and we know that the creed this morning is that a reflection of the Word of God. And so we're not here to preach the creed today, but we're actually here to have it as a tool to guide us through the Word of God and what God wants us to hear. We don't, um, we don't believe in incantations, and that is to say that no matter how many times you repeat this and how well you have it memorized, it's not going to make you lucky, and we don't believe in luck anyway, it's not going to make you lucky, nor it's going to give you greater favor with God than you had when you came in this morning. So because we realize that God never loves us anymore and how he loves us right now at this point in our very life, whether we're, we're doing well or not doing so well. And, and so we want you to understand that about the creed today. But I want to start by asking you a question. How many of you would say that this past week has been somewhat too busy in your life. How many of you say this past week has been too busy in your life? Let me see your hand. Too busy? Okay, good. Everyone else, you've been like at the beach, right? You just came back from the beach and you think, man, I'm refreshed, Mark, and everything is wonderful. I got a tan going on here and everything is great, you know, and I've been sitting out by the pool, sipping that whatever that drink is, a little umbrella in it and that kind of thing and a slice of pineapple stuck in it, whatever that might be. But I'm, I'm all good. But Everybody else, yeah, it's been very busy. And so what I realize as we talk about the resurrection of the body and life everlasting is that the engine that has driven all the activities of our life, whether this week, last week, or wherever, that the engine that has driven all those activities of our life is hope. And when I say hope, I'm not talking about hope fellowship, but I'm talking about hope, the act of hope, whether it's our family, our kids, our education, our vocation, our recreational life, whatever, It's hope that pushes all of that. It's hope that shapes everything 
in, in our daily life. It drives our relationships. It drives our money. It drives how we spend our time, what we do with ourselves. It, it drives all of that. It's what we're hoping for and what we're hoping in drives everything. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, it's the engine of our life. It really is. And when we talk about hope today for clarification, we're not talking about that of, of, of just general hope, but that of ultimate hope. And that's where it applies to this statement in the creed this morning. That there's nothing wrong with you just simply having general hope in things. And I'll explain that to you. So here's another question, kind of gets you comfortable today. This is interactive time for a moment. That doesn't mean you can get up here and preach, okay, in a moment. Understand that. But it's sort of interactive. I ask the questions, you raise your hand and put your hand down. That's the kind of way it works, you know. So here's the question. How many of you have bills? Let me see if you have any bills, okay? Bills. Doesn't mean that your husband is named Bill and you live with him. How many have bills? You know, you have debt, all right? For all the other ones that did not raise their hand, please see them in the lobby. They'll be loaning money today to pay all of your bills, okay? So you know, we all have bills. And, and I had this thought about that today, that we place our hope in money to pay those bills. And then on, on through that process, that we place our hope in a job to give us money to pay those bills and to prepare for the job that's going to give us money to pay for that bills, that we somehow place hope in our education or our training or whatever it might be that helps us with a job that gives us the money to pay the bills that we have. And so we have hope in those things, and that's not bad within itself. That's not. Now, some of us place hope in relationships. We do. That maybe this is your future husband, or this is going to be your future wife, and there's hope that lies in that. And you're sitting beside someone, and you're hoping they're your future husband or your future wife, yet they don't know that you hope that yet. So what a great time to turn to them right now and say that to them. Wouldn't that be wild? Just to rock their world. I hope you're my future wife. Yes, because you are so hot. And you can say that in church, and it's fine. Okay? It's, it's okay. It's all right. Yes. Hey, just keep your hands to yourself. Now, here's the other thing, too, that you have hope in. Maybe, maybe it's a hero in your life. It's a parental figure, an authoritative figure. Maybe, it's, maybe you have hope in Batman. I don't know. Batman's better than Superman because Batman has better gadgets. But the reality is that you have hope in a, a political leader, a nation, nationalism. Maybe you have hope in your diet, your, your health, you know, that your diet resembles that of a farm animal so that you have hope in your health, that you're going to be healthy throughout your life. None of those are bad within themselves. I want you to understand that. They're not bad to have hope in money or to pay your bills or to have hope in that you're going to do well in college this semester. None of those things are bad or climb the corporate ladder. None of them are unless, unless, and you know, this always has to be that unless or that but that we find in Scripture, unless they're not general hopes, but they become the ultimate hope of your life. Yes, that moment where that ultimate hope becomes replaced hopes. And what we understand about Scripture and how this applies to this part of the creed this morning in a moment is that replaced hope is absolutely catastrophic for our life. Because if your ultimate hope is your ability to make enough money, or if your ultimate hope is your ability, that of a relationship, that, that strains that relationship which it can't bear under that weight of your hope, then what happens is this, we become enslaved to fear, and we become enslaved to anxiety, we become enslaved to um, all, those, uh, all those feelings and emotions, restlessness, all those things, we come enslaved to that because we have placed something that is 
seemingly ultimate hope in our life that should be a general hope. And that's where many of us find ourselves. At this very moment, you wonder, why am I so burdened down with fear? Why am I so anxious about everything? Why that when someone just says a word to me, it kind of sets me off, you know, immediately. It's like that if, you know, I have this very short fuse with my temper or my temperament. Why? Because I truly believe it's this. That it's because you have replaced hope in your life. That you have placed something that's a general hope. You've replaced that. You've placed it in that, in that area that's only reserved for ultimate hopes within our life. You've made that transition. If it's a relationship, man, I want to tell you, no relationship can stand up under that kind of, the burden of that kind of hope. If your relationship is your ultimate hope, then understand this, that what you're trying to do is you're trying to take that person and for them to fulfill something in your life that only ultimate hope can, and it doesn't work. They will never stand up under the pressure because we know that people make very lousy gods in life. And so it will never stand up under that pressure. So my question to you is, what, where, where are you placing your hope? Where are you placing your hope? And what is your hope in? Because misplaced hopes are absolutely catastrophic within our lives. Because they, they lurk in places that we don't always see. We're not always aware of those things. They're the unseen engine of our life. It's like driving a beautiful car, buying this new car, and, and you take it home, but you never raise the hood. You never know what's under the hood because un, that, that, uh, that hope that we place within our life that should just be reserved for God... For, for the understanding of scriptures within our life and how God works, those ultimate hopes, it's like driving a car but never really knowing what's under the hood of our car. And so by the grace of God in this very strange way, God allows for there to be anxiety in our life at times. And God allows for there to be fear in our life at times. I know that's very strange to say that or failure or frustration or those controlling tendencies even allows those things to happen or manipulation because why? Because they are a check engine for our life. They're the check engine light for our life that says, hey, there is something wrong within you. You got to raise the hood and you got to look at the engine because there's absolutely something wrong within your life. There really is. And we're not going to know that unless we find these things taking place. We wonder, well, well why, do I, why do I have this anxiety in my life? And why do I try to control everything within my life? Have you ever thought that maybe it's your check engine light and you need to simply go and raise the hood and find out what's going on? Because have you, have you replaced the ultimate hope in your life with a general hope? Who is it and what is it? I don't know. And, and, and then when you do that, when you place those general hopes in, your, in the area of only should be ultimate hope, then what happens is you try to control things because they're not working out right. And I know none of you in this room have control issues. I know not a one of you do. It's everybody else that's not here right now, right? Your first service, so all of those with control issues, they'll come to second service most likely, right? So it's not you, but maybe just listen for a moment. That When you have that fear and anxiety within your life, then you try to manipulate and you try to control those things. Can I tell you, control is an illusion. Did you know that? It's an illusion. It, it really is. That in the reality and the scheme of life, you control very little, if anything. Control is an illusion. It is. 
So you've already said good morning to the person next to you. You knew this was coming. If today is your first Sunday, then you think, what is Mark about to do? Well, you're about to find out, and then you're going to know when you come again, if you ever come again, then you're going to understand this. You said good morning to the person next to you. Could you turn to them for a moment and say, your control issues are an illusion? Can you say that to them right now? Mark, that's offensive. Church is supposed to be offensive. Didn't you know that? If you come here and your world is not rocked, then I don't think we're having church. Because God wants to shake us up. Yeah, it, thank you. Yeah, that God, God wants to raise the hood. He wants us to see what's in our life. And, and we think, oh, I can control this. Yeah, there's no problem. Yes, I can control. Did you know that you don't even control your money because you really don't have the control of that of the value of the dollar bill? You don't. You say, well, I can control things like my health. I can eat better and those kinds of things. Can I tell you that people that exercise and eat better still die? Did you know that? Thank you, Mark, for the words of encouragement. Could you imagine that book on the shelf? Eat better and die. You know, that'd be great. I want that. Yes. Yes, I'm going to buy that one. Absolutely for sure. Yes. No, you don't control all of your relationships. You really don't. Yeah, you trust people, absolutely, but people have broken your trust in the past. They promise things to you in very good faith, but they're not able to carry through through those promises because they're not God. So we really don't control a whole lot. And I think that we need to really look at our lives because what we've done, we've become enslaved to try to control things. Why? Because we have substituted those ultimate trust in our life with that of general trust. We have put those things in that space that truly belongs to ultimate trust. And you say, Mark, you keep saying that thing, but what is that? Well, it brings us to this point in the creed, the, the resurrection of the body and the everlasting life. It's the foundation of our Christian hope and encouragement for our lives. It's the ordering of our Christian life today together that these general hopes that we've talked about, those are great as long as they're not our ultimate hope. But this is our ultimate hope, that there will be a resurrection of the body and life everlasting, that I can't guarantee a lot of things in this world, but that's one thing that I can hope on and I can place my trust in because it is a promise from God. Yes. That everything in life will change, but that will never change. And that is an ultimate hope that drives my life. It does. It drives my life. So every week we have stood together, which we're going to do in a moment, and we have recited the creed. Now, this is a safe space. So if you're not comfortable standing with us in a moment, then that's absolutely fine. And there is no judgment here. But we have recited this together. And what we've said over these 12 weeks is this, that we reject a lot of modern narratives. Yeah. those narratives that would be contrary to God's word, that we're being discipled by something in this life, and it's not always Scripture. So we reject those things, and we say, this is our tenet of faith. This is what we believe. And so today we stand with millions of believers for millennia, for well over a thousand years that this creed has been recited together. And we say this, and we join in the community of believers in saying, this is what we believe. 
believe. This is what we believe. We've talked about so much of these things. The Holy Catholic Church, simply meaning the universal church, the overall body of Christ, all of these things we say, hey, this is what we believe as Christians, and this is where we stand. So if you are comfortable, would you stand with me as a church, please? You can see it on the screens on both sides, and on the banner behind me, we have it in your bulletin for you to read, and let us read this together out loud. Let us read. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. So what we're going to do for a few moments together is this. That we're going to use this portion of the creed to shape a a theological understanding of what this means for us. Then we're going to take that understanding, we're going to plug it into our grid as we do every week. That about symmetry, balance and clarity and community and counsel of our lives. And then we're going to take a moment to reflect and allow that to simply shape our hearts and our heads and our hands. So the first thought is this, the resurrection of the body. And a few weeks ago, as we talked about the risen Christ, we went to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 42, and we're going to read there in a moment again. And it talks about that of Christ being raised from the dead, but it talks about that of Christ being the first fruit of the second resurrection. That's you and I. That's the promise that we will be resurrected in a physical body. And so it talks about the physical, uh, the physical bodily resurrection of the saints. And this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 42. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised, imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And this is an important part, as all of this is, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now, don't misunderstand this, all this spiritual body language this morning. Because we're not saying that when you are resurrected, which we all will be, that you're going to be a ghost. Now, that's not what this is saying. So realize and let's, let's theologically have a very good understanding that there is a physical body. When we are resurrected, that there is a physical body, much like that, the resurrected body of Christ. That you're not some this ethereal kind of smoke that's floating in the air all the time after the body, bodily resurrection. But it's a physical body. If there is a natural body, then there is a spiritual body. And we're talking about Christian hope. We're talking about bodily resurrection. We're talking about resurrection this morning, not resuscitation. And there is a huge difference between that of resurrection and resuscitation. And it's a big deal because here is the thought. There's coming a day when your physical body is going to outright betray you. Now, I know for some of you that's not even on your radar right now at the age that you are, but it's going to betray you. At some point, it's not just going to hurt to exercise, but it's going to hurt to sleep. Understand that, right? Yeah. You get up and you think, oh man, what happened in the middle of the night? You know, it it, it is true. 
Yeah, and you in this, you in this body, you're going to become frustrated with this life. It is going to happen. There is a time in your life, and I know some of you, it's later on, I realize that, and I'm not there yet, that you're going to wake up frustrated because you're still here in this world. You are. I realize that life is kind of three stages. You're on an ascent, then you're at cruising altitude, and you're on the descent. Now, you can choose where you are, okay, in all of that, all right? Uh, I'm at the cruising altitude right now is kind of where I think I'm at. But there's a day coming that we just won't want to be in this world any longer. It's true. So in order for us to understand that, we have to go to the crazy book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12 and verse 1. And we talked through this as a series some time ago. I love it. But can I read these verses to you, starting in chapter 12, verse 1? Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Verse 3. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease. Now, understand for a moment as we stop there, we'll read, we read on, that we're reading poetry. Grinders are gone. The keepers' hands tremble that we're no longer able to do the things that we once did. It's talking about age. Because they are few, it says... And those who look through the windows are dimmed. I love Ecclesiastes because it gets right where we live. And that is, I thought, what does this mean, windows are dim? It's about age. And what I realize is, is that when I look at you with my glasses on, you look very, you know, you look, you look like, well, you're supposed to be here. But when I look at you now, you look very different. Understand that, right? That you're kind of all in a, in a fog and, and you're a bit blurry to me right now. And if somehow I didn't have these and this, then this, we're in trouble. And so I put them on. Oh, everything is wonderful. And that's exactly what it talks about. Verse 4. And the doors on the street are shut when the sounds of the grinding is low. And one rises up at the sound of a bird. And I thought, well, what does that mean? It simply means this. There comes a light point in your life when you want to go to bed at 4.30 in the afternoon and you wake up at 2 a.m. True. <laughs> Keep reading. And all the daughters of the sounds are brought low. There comes a point where you just don't hear like you used to hear. And I'm not talking about all the selective hearing for all the men in the room, but you really can't hear. And verse 5 says that they are afraid also of what is high and the terrors are in the way, that the world starts moving so fast that you become afraid because things begin to change. It says the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails. And men say that'll never happen to me, but it probably will, okay? Because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped. We know that if you understand that, that talking about your spine, I told you that this is crazy stuff. I told you, or the golden bowl is broken. It's talking about your head, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Our hope is not in resuscitation. No. You know why? Because I don't want to come back to this failing body. That's exactly right. 
No, I don't want to come back to this body. I thought about this. Lazarus, Lazarus and the miracle, Lazarus being raised from the tomb, was absolutely an amazing miracle. It was just tremendous. And we understand what that means to you and I in the resurrection, is that it's a sign or that's an image of that. I understand that. But what I realized is Lazarus had to die again. Did you, did you know that? Lazarus had to die again. So I can imagine that the reason that Jesus called him out of the tomb, because Lazarus is probably already in there and he's back. He's, he's risen from the dead. And he's probably thinking, really, this life again? Come on, I'm going to stay in here and maybe this is not real. And I thought, well, that's kind of my imagination. But here's hope. Here is what hope is. And this is where our hope lies, that we're not raised by the power of Christ from the grave back to an aching back, a trick knee, and needing glasses any longer. Understand that. We are not. That we're not resurrected back in being tired, weak, slow, weary, or fearful. Because we are resurrected, we are not resuscitated. And that is our hope, that we are resurrected to a new body that will live for all eternity with Christ. That is our hope. Everything else in this life, I really have very little control over. But that is where my hope lies. And when I have ultimate hope like that, the world can change. But I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. Whoever wins the midterm elections coming up, you know, that, that's, listen, it's not going to change the fact that there will be a day that wherever I am interned, that that grave is going to bust forth and I'm going to be changed and resurrected and I'm going to be given a new body which will last forever and I will no longer need glasses and I'll no longer have an ache in my life and there'll be no more pain and no more worry and no more fear and frustration. That is real hope. That's real hope. Where does your hope lie? Where do, oh, my hope lies in, 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 in our government that, that they're going to turn things around and, and everything is going to be okay in our society. Really? You're really watching fake news, right? Yeah, whatever that is. Really? No. My hope is this, the resurrection of the body. And then he says, he says, and then life everlasting. And this space is where our ultimate hope lies. Because bodily resurrection is, 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 is not like, well, it's not like this body that you see before you this morning. It's not like that with all the fear and the ailments and all those things. That, because those things are gone in the bodily resurrection of the saints. This is the base of our Christian hope. And this is the base of our Christian courage this morning. That we order our lives based around this truth. That I have... I have eternity, life everlasting, in a body that's no longer sick and no longer dies and no longer has any of those ailments. Understand that, that there's no fear, there's no sickness, there's no need for Tums or gummy vitamins any longer because that is all over. That's all over. Yes. I have a very weird imagination. I know, I know I do. So now we've already gone to Ecclesiastes. So let's get really buck wild this morning. Let's go to the book of Revelation. It's the book about dragons and all those kinds of things too. So let's go to the book of Revelation for a moment. And we're going to end there in Revelation 21 in verse 1. I love this. You can't talk about the resurrection and about everlasting life. I think in Lewis you read from the book of Revelation. And so Revelation 21 and 1 says this. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. 
and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Here's the thrust. Here is, I think, the, the theme of Revelation 21, is that my soul, my body, the, the holistic understanding and part of who I am is where it's meant to be. And it's not just the new Jerusalem with God living eternally with him. It's not that, but I am with him and he is with me. Because you and I, from the very beginning, if you go back and have an understanding of the book of Genesis, that in the perfection of the garden, that you and I were created to have fellowship with God, to live with him. God would come down in the cool of the evening, and what would he do? He would take a walk with Adam, and they would talk things over. Can you imagine that amazing conversation? Can you? Listen, that's, that's how God created us. He created us for that scenario. And so what I realize is in eternal life is that I am where I should be, and he is with me, that we are with God. And there's no longer just needed faith to believe in that or hope for that. But we simply have hope realized in that everlasting life is to be with him. That's powerful. You read on that he will. And so here's what eternity looks like. He describes it to us that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. There are no more funerals. It is done. Not another one. In fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15 later on, it's like Paul makes a mockery of death. He says, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? He kind of puts his hand on his hips and says, what's up now? You know, Because God has conquered death, hell, and the grave. It is so powerful. This is what eternity looks like. Neither shall there be any mourning. And we don't mourn just death. But in this life, we mourn loss of relationships and other things that we find in life. And the Bible gives us latitude in this life to mourn. Absolutely, it does. I, I don't think there's anything really more ungodly than that of fake joy when you really should be mourning over something in life because it is a broken world. Yes, but there'll be no more mourning. He goes on, nor crying, nor pain, nor, nor pain anymore. That you find yourself, I don't know if you find yourself with a loved one and you see them in pain, boy, you want to fix that. As a father... When my children are in pain, boy, I really want to fix that in their lives. I do. My son, Grayson, when he was growing up, he never wanted to wear shoes. The kid never wanted to wear shoes. We have actually, and Reba can tell you this, that we have driven up at a restaurant to go eat, and all of a sudden we hear Grayson in the back saying, I forgot my shoes at home. He has no shoes, you know? You know what do you do with a kid like that? What do you do? You send him off to military college. That's exactly what we did. Yes, so now somebody tells him to put his shoes on at 5 a.m. every morning. And so that's, and, and it works. If you want to, you know, our philosophy, then use it. And so, you know, and, and he wouldn't wear shoes. And so one day he's in our backyard and he's playing in the woods behind our house and he's barefoot. And I said, Grayson, if you cut your foot, I refuse to take you to the doctor and you will just bleed to death in our driveway. I told him that, did I not? No, shorter than an hour later, I hear this screaming from the backyard, and I come out, and he's standing in our driveway, and he has stuck something through the bottom of his foot, and there's this big puddle of blood gushing out from his foot, and what is the first thing I say as a loving father? I told you so, is what I said to him. 
My first thought was, I'm going back in the house, but then I realized I'd have to deal with his mother if I did that, right? And so <laughs> we bandage him up and we take him and get stitched up. Why? Because really the heart fa- of the father is that I don't want to see my child hurt. I don't want to see him in pain. I don't want to see him bleeding. I realize that. And what I understand is that those moments in life, there are no more in life everlasting. They don't exist. They don't exist. And it's hard to think about life apart from that. And he goes on to say, for the former things have passed away, that whatever lasting life looks like is that that so many of you have been marked by tragedy. You've been marked by things in your life. You've been marked by addictions. You've been marked by struggles within your life. And some of you are just struggling through that right now. And you've not bounced back from those things. Dark things that you're still struggling with in your life. Can I tell you something about all those things in eternal life? They are gone. They're gone. They, don't, they, they cease to exist. Yes, They're not there any longer. And when you say things like that, and you feel the Holy Spirit opening all of our hearts and our understanding to the reality of that, you feel and sense the level of hope in this room begin to rise already. That is ultimate hope. Understand that we live in a broken world and things will not be made right. Yes, we work for, against injustice and we work to make things right. We should as believers. Absolutely. But none of this will be made completely right until Christ returns. Understand that. But in life everlasting, all of those things that we struggle with today are gone. They're gone. That's hope. That is ultimate hope. Verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these things are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. It's like that feeling that you have when you do a project and it's over and you feel accomplished. Those things are done. They're over. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of, of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. That is life everlasting. That's hope. Where have you placed your hope? That's a huge question for us to really contemplate today. Where have you placed your hope? And so we take this theological understanding of that of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. We take that And we lay that over our lives and the grid of our lives. And we said, let's talk about symmetry. How does this form Christian symmetry? How does this form balance within my life with this understanding? The first thing is this, and 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 I gave this a lot of thought, that some of us love Jesus, but we're actually putting undue hope in things that can't deliver in our life. And when you put undue hope in things that can't deliver that within your life, then you're going to be frustrated, and you're going to be anxious, and you're going to be fearful, and you're going to be restless. And when you do that, we talked about earlier, you're going to try to control it, and you're going to try to manipulate those things within your life. The reality is that we're not relying on God, that we're relying on ourselves. And I say this to you very lovingly, you make a lousy God that you can't fix yourself. Understand that. You can't. You can't fix other people. You can't fix yourself. We rely on ourselves and we don't rely on God. And the check engine of my life this morning is anxiety and fear and restlessness. 
falling back to my sinful patterns, manipulation and control. It's a check engine light to say, open the hood, Mark. Something is wrong because it's misplaced hope in your life. You're hoping on something that you shouldn't hope on. It's not a bad thing as long as it's not the ultimate hope of your life. And I think that some of us have placed undue hope that can't deliver. And then I think, secondly, that we need to, some of us, just take a breath for a moment. And I told the staff in staff meeting this week, on our Friday weekend meeting, we have and, and to make sure that everything is together for these services. I said, I think what we have to do is we have to start viewing our lives today from this 10,000-year vantage point, and we look back at our lives And when we've been God for 10,000 years in the future, life everlasting, that when we look back on this life of all of our fears and all of our anxieties and all of our struggles, it's not that big of a deal, is it? Yeah. That we worry and we fret. And can I tell you, that concept is messy and inconsistent. It is as messy and consistent as my life as it is yours. So I'm not telling you that I have this perfect. I'm not. I'm not telling you that I never worry because I do worry sometimes. Yes. Well, Mark, that's wrong. You should be concerned but not worry. Stop using semantics on me. We all worry at times. Yes. Some of you are worrying that I'm never going to be quiet right now, okay? Because you're hungry and, you know, your, your four donuts and your cup of coffees have just worn off. And so you're, 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 you're worried about something. Some of you are worried about going to work tomorrow and you're worried. And, and there's all this anxiety within your life. And I'm going to tell you, for a moment, just breathe. And to realize that I'm going to look at my life today from a 10,000-year view in the future. I'm going to look back on where I am and realize God has this. <laughs> and there may not be this immediate miracle within my life. God may, God may not, you know... God may not remove all the people in my life. And I know some of you prayed that before. God removed this person from my life. And it seems like God just pushes them closer because we've said before that there are some people that are spiritual sandpaper in your life. And that, amen? Yeah. It's like wearing a pair of sandpaper underwear that it's going to rub you really raw. Some of you got a vision of that. But God uses those things, and I think that if we could get that 10,000-year view and we look back, we could see that God uses a lot of these things to refine us and to rescue us, to transform us into the person that we are called to become. So that's balance. What about clarity? How does this result in clarity? I, I think it's important that we understand this, that there is a physical bodily resurrection that you're not going to be resurrected into being an angel. Did you know that? Yeah. Listen, if you ever get an opportunity to speak at a funeral, never tell the family that heaven has gained another angel. Never do that. Can I tell you why? Because if you read the book of Hebrews, you realize that angels envy us as the redeemed. Did you know that? They would love to be us. God uses angels to push back darkness and to do spiritual warfare. We understand that. But God has greater plans for you and I. We are, not, we are not resurrected to be an angel. It's a bodily resurrection. The second thing is this. I think that we're not resurrected to be a ghost. Now, you say, Mark, that's, real, that's really weird. That is. But how many times have you told somebody, when I die, I hope to come back and haunt you? I don't know if you've ever said that to anybody, right? 
Oh, somebody says, I have. I heard a very loud voice back there. I have. And they're looking at their husband saying that. If I die young and you marry somebody else, I will haunt you. You know? Yes. No. <laughs> None of you will ever get that opportunity. Give it up, okay? I have exposed you today. That line will never work with them any longer. It's done. You have to find something else to use now. Absolutely. Because the Lord has something better for you and I. And that is that we are with Him for all eternity. Ah, That hope is realized. That we're with Christ for all eternity. How does this shape our community? It's an awareness that drives us to kindness and I believe compassion. That we're all eternal beings. We are all eternal beings. That we live in a community of immortals. Immortals. Did you know that? That we all will live forever. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, that we live in a community of immortals. We, we really do. And when you look at that, what you realize is that everyone around you is going to live forever somewhere. And it changes the way you treat people. It really does. It breaks my heart for those that don't know Christ. Because I know that I am resurrected in a bodily resurrection to live with God forever. And I want everyone else that's around me to be there with me. So it brings kindness and compassion in my life that I've never had before. When I understand that of a bodily resurrection. Life everlasting. It changes the way I see the world. And so how do we counsel ourselves and how do we counsel others? That since we are eternal creatures, that we take seriously our eternality of our soul. The eternality of our soul is that, yes, we will live forever with God. Absolutely. So what that means is this, and how I I counsel myself with this is this, that I take serious the sin of my life. That I don't look at the things that I know that God hates because they harm me as his child. He doesn't hate his children, but he hates the things that harms him because he is the good father. That I take serious the sin of my life. I take serious those things that will harm me and that are sinful. And I don't make light of those things. Because my ultimate hope is not in this world or the things of this life, which I love this world. and I love the things that God has created here. And I love the people that God has placed in my life. I do. And I love the mountains. and I love the ocean. I love all of those kinds of things. But my ultimate hope is in what Christ has done upon the cross. So we counsel our souls with the eternality of our, of, of our own souls. And in light of that, that causes me to extend greater mercy and greater grace to those that are around me because I want them to worship Jesus with me for all eternity. So the neighbor that you have, some of you think, oh, you don't know who I live next to. I live next to the Manson family. You don't realize who I live next to. And, and, and can I tell you, if God is providential and sovereign, you think that you chose to buy that house? We either believe that God is sovereign because there is no partial sovereignty with God He is either sovereign or he's not. So 
He placed you there. And they are eternal souls. Yeah, they're eternal souls. Oh, Mark, you don't understand that, that my boss at work, I have to face him or her tomorrow. And, and you don't understand that him or her, they're like, they're a spawn of Satan. You just don't understand, you know? You just don't realize what I deal with. Can I tell you? You chose the job? Or in God's sovereignty, he placed you there? And they are immortal. Yes. Countries will cease to exist. Art will go away. Continents will cease to exist. The only thing in this world that is immortal is people. Christians or non-Christians. And when we come in to an understanding of the eternality of our own souls... It changes the way that we see others. So here are two questions. Maybe you can't answer them right now. Maybe it's going to take some time for you to answer these things. Where are you placing your ultimate hope? Where are you placing your ultimate hope? That's a huge question. As you think about the frantic pace of your own life... What drives you? What consumes your heart? Are those things, or are those places, are they leading to anxiety? Are they leading to frustration? Are they leading to fear within your life? Are they? Then can I tell you what that is? That's the check engine light of your life. Saying to you that you have misplaced hope. Where are you placing your hope? And the, third, the, second, or the second question, and the last question, it's a longer one. In what ways have you shown a lack of concern for the eternality of your life? Do you look at your sin and you kind of blow it off as, oh, that's nothing. It's no big deal. You know, you know why we say that? Because we use the guy next to us as a measuring stick for our life. You don't know what he's done. So I'm not as bad as him, so I must be okay. So do you take your sin lightly? Do you? Or what about the sin of others? Because you realize the, the, the eternality of their own life, or their, their souls. And it does it drive you to courage or cowardice? Well, I don't, I don't want them to think that I'm not cool, so I just don't want... Can I tell you something? You're no longer, and don't take this offense if you're in high school, you're no longer in high school. You're like 35 years old. Who cares if you're cool or not, right? Yes. The reality is that the person you're sitting next to, the person you're going to be at work with tomorrow, or the person in your class, or your roommate, or whatever, they have an eternal soul. And you need to get to business about making sure that they know Jesus. Big deal what they think about you. 
The reality is that most people want to know there's some hope in this world because they place their hope in things that simply move and is so fluid all the time that they want some hope that never changes. You and I know who that hope is, and that hope is Jesus. Why would you keep the best news from those that need to hear it? Because we have forgotten the eternality of our own lives. Today we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Would you bow your heads for a moment, please? Father, today as we sit here before you, we ask these questions of ourselves that we dig around in our own hearts and our own souls. Where does our hope lie this morning? Is our hope in a relationship or a church? Is our hope in that of a job? Is our hope in money? It, where, where does our hope lie? Because, God, we know that those things are not bad within themselves. But has general hope become the ultimate hope of our life? And so, God, it's a question we must answer today. So, Father, speak to us. And God, are we taking lightly? Are we taking lightly the sin of our life? Are we using people around us to say, well, at least I'm not that bad? Are we raising the hood of our lives and dealing with what we find? Because there is a blinking red light in the instrument panel saying there is something wrong. So, God, speak to us this morning. May our hope lie in you. In that of the resurrection of the dead and life everlasting. Because everything else is fluid. But that is where we place our hope today. So I ask you a question as you sit there for a moment and you think of these things and you contemplate these two questions that you're here and you're not a Christian and you and, and I say that what I mean is this that you're not following Christ he's not the Lord of your life you know about him yes but I ask you today to consider making a decision for him by realizing your need for him and you're here and you realize that then taking that next step and saying Jesus I need you in my life I'm a sinner. I confess that to you. I confess my need as a sinner for you. Forgive me. Because you see, He's already forgiven you. This is the acceptance of that forgiveness for your life. I accept your forgiveness for my life. I believe, I believe, Jesus, that you are the Son of God. And I confess that with my mouth this morning. And you're saved. You begin to place your hope and trust in that which is immovable in this life. And for those that are Christians, you're sitting here and you're going through your mind and you're digging through your heart and you find all these things that you are 
You, you've trusted in and hoped in. You're bound and you're overcome by fear and anxiety. You're trying to control your life and change everything. And it's a huge blinking light in the instrumental of your life. And it's saying, open the hood. Look at your heart. Because there's misplaced trust there. And let God speak to you for a moment. And repent of that. And start the journey to place your hope in Him.